This is Richie Wexler of Vintage Annals Archive Outsider Podcast. Today's guest is Sammy Canold, a theater, film, and television director who is one of Forbes Magazine's 30 Under 30 in Hollywood and Entertainment, one of Variety's 10 Broadway stars to watch, and one of Town and Country's creative aristocracy. Um, I got to know them a little bit, and they are all those things. Very creative person. They've done all this work and how they presented musicals in very creative and new ways that really bring you into uh, being there, being part of it. Um, it's a pleasure to talk to them, and without further ado, here we go. I guess the first question I have is, how, how and when does Broadway become a passion for you? So, uh, you know, for me, I was very lucky in that I was born uh, into the world. Uh, my uh, mom is a theater producer. My dad is a film producer. Nice. Um, and so uh, I was, you know, uh, it was all I knew growing up. And yeah. uh, it was very magical. And I think that um, it was sort of expected that I was going to go into the family business. And I think that... Um, for a while that uh, sort of made it a little clinical and like not that fun. Uh, and then I, I kind of refound the fun in it um, and the joy and, and the love and the passion for it. And um, I, I, I really adore theater. When you say that, do you mean you had to kind of get outside of the shadow of your parents and what they wanted? Is that kind of what you're getting at? And if it's your yeah. personal, please don't answer. I'm... No, 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 no. That's I mean, I think that I was conscious of the privilege that, um, yeah. And I, I certainly still am. Um, uh, that that was afforded to me, and I think that I was also conscious of my desire to make a unique mark on the world in some way, uh, yeah. and was trying Definitely to sort of reconcile those two yeah. things. Um, and uh, I think that you know now I, I the you know the privilege that I have because of my parents is, you know, um, something that I'm extraordinarily grateful for and something I would not be where I am without. Um, that said, like, it was really important to me that when I started working in theater, I didn't work initially with my mom's colleagues. I didn't work with my mom. It was really about you know, gotcha. sort of how can I, within this industry, kind of try to find my own way um, so that it's not, you know, jump starting, you know, vis-a-vis. -vis. Yeah. I feel like with certain film and certain musicals, who you are or where you're at at the time kind of reflects in how much it gets into you. And I'm just curious on your, you know, more of your personal uh, two or three uh, musical experiences kind of coming up in this world as a kid or even as a teen that really like kind of rocked your world. Yeah, I think um, the ones that jump out to me are, uh, I saw the revival of Evita when I was in high school. Wow. Um, uh, and I'd never, I'd heard, you know, songs from Vita, but I'd never seen a production of it. Um, and that really like rocked my world, the story and, and the character and, um, and all of it. Was that, um, was that Patti Lapone or was that a different? No, idea? that was, uh, Elena Roger. Um, oh, okay. it was, yeah, Patty, Patty was the original, um, okay. uh, uh, back in the seventies, eighties. Um, okay. right. But, you were, you um, would not have been around. <laughs> exactly. Um, I wish I could have seen that. My yeah, yeah, I just yeah. Um, my my history uh, gets no. it. Yeah. 
<laughs> no, no. Yeah. Um, but uh, and uh, but I, I mean, I was really, I was really rocked by that specific story. And then okay. I think you know the other one that sort of jumped out to me is the uh, revival of Pippin, uh, which was directed by Diane Paulus, um, and that was I think in 2012. Um, okay. And the reason that that was so formative for me personally was um, it it was a you know production of Pippin in which Diane put a stamp on it that was very specific and unique and that it was a production that revolved around circus um and um you know the the whole like framing device for the story was that the that it took place essentially in in, a, in the environment of a circus and um they worked with this incredible circus company um called oh. set Dois de la Main. and um i saw that production and and was so um struck by the idea that a director could have uh could could add a you know, a lens uh, to something that already existed, that, that yeah. something that was adored and respected um, and, and that a director could add another dimension to that made me really understand what the job of a director was. Um, and so that was really impactful. When you say um, Diane, so, who, are you, who are you referring to? Uh, Diane Paulus, who was the director of that production. Gotcha. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Um, I, it makes me think of the one of the uh, company productions where they all play musical instruments on stage yes um, exactly like that's that's a, a great example of like a director um you know putting their stamp on on, yeah. on a production and saying this is the lens through which i want people to view this show that everybody already knows and loves that um, was uh john doyle okay nice um i'm curious on from here on out uh who are your like i don't know whether they're old, old who are your musical actors and actresses that you'd love to work with in some way. And if you can tell me mm. why, if you, if you, you know, or some yeah. of the dream people you're like, I have to, before, <laughs> before I'm done here, I got it. I got it. Oh my gosh. So in. many. Um, uh, I mean, my, my ultimate, uh, dream person I would say is Heather Headley. Okay. Um, she is just, I think there's something about her as a performer that she is such a force of nature. Um, I've seen her, Live, I saw her live in Into the Woods, but I think that oh, wow. the performance that she's, you know, most known for in in the theater world is 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 um you know her turn as Aida, um, okay. um when she played the title character and um the you know you can still find uh uh bootlegs of it on on YouTube and it's just like the most extraordinary thing I've ever seen in even yeah. in like the fuzzy YouTube um I just think she is like a truly one of a kind performer and I wish gotcha. I had something, you know, worthy of her. Um, so, uh, you know, she's, she's a big one. Um, uh, I also really love the idea of bringing performers into the theater world who are in other worlds. Gotcha. Um, I was working on a project once where somebody suggested Andrea Bocelli, um, for it. And so, had a few conversations about the possibility of Andrea Bocelli like coming over to theater world wow. and I I just you know it obviously didn't happen but it, but I think you know moments like that where we find ways to sort of cross mediums feel really exciting to me yeah. uh and so whether it's him or somebody else I, I think I would also I think assume that yeah I also sorry to cut you off I also would assume no, that there's that there's some of a freshness to people that don't under, don't necessarily work in that world. Don't understand that they bring something that's new because it's it's their experience. I think that must be interesting to play around with. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, um, and I, I've, uh, you know, this year I worked with, for example, uh, a few, um, incredible world-class, uh, tango dancers, um, who, uh, uh, came from Argentina to, uh, be part of a production of Avida that I directed. Um, and, uh, they, uh, if, you know, a few of them had been in, uh, theater productions before, but, but two of them had never been in a musical before. Okay. Um, and, uh, the way that they approached the show and that they approached their artistry, like taught us all so much. And that has given me a big lesson about, you know, how artists should and can cross mediums. Does, since your father was more into film and your and mother was more into theater, does film, has film, I was assuming you grew up watching a lot of film, has that influenced in some ways how you think about theater? Yeah, I think that I was always, as a kid, just more uh, drawn to my mom's work than my dad's work. Gotcha. And I think that part of, I don't think that's because of a greater affection for the medium of theater than that of film, but because of the process of making theater, because I was around so many people, like, because I think that on film sets, it's harder to have a kid running around, right, um, right, but right. In, in the back of a theater, like I could just watch what was happening. And I think yeah. that, um, that, so I think the fact that I was like more part of it as a kid made it more attractive. Okay. Um, but I think now, you know, in my adult life, uh, I, I, I went towards theater first, partly for that reason. And partly, you know, because that's just sort of where I, I gravitated in school. Um, but, uh, now, you know, 10 years into my professional life, I'm moving more in the direction of, of, of film and TV as well. Um, so, um, you know, the, the nice thing is that the skill sets are different, but they're not that different. And right. so, um, you know, once you, once you learn one, it's just a, a matter of putting in the time and the effort yeah. and having the conversation as an asking the questions to, to learn the other one. One, one thing I just like is, is, is your approach to Vita seemed to be just, you know, watch something you were on or being interviewed about just having read all these biographies. I think there's, it seems like I'd assume that means your approach is more of a scholar. And I'm just wondering how that, how that affected that production and what you brought to the table for that one. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's like, you know, scholarship intertwined with artistry, right? Yeah, yeah not to definitely. sound too highfalutin about it, no, but no, no, no. I think I mean... it is it is sort of the the combo of those two things. Um, because, um, it's to me, it's about like, you know, when I was in college, you know, when they would make us write papers about the shows that we were directing, sometimes you would become sort of too academic about what you were making art artistically, right, 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 you know, it'd be like, I, it would, it would, you know, you put something on stage and it would look like a thesis paper and you'd be like, ah, you know, right, um, right. that's, you know, and I think that what I try to do now is kind of say, I am interested in the academic inquiry behind the creation of this piece, because I think that's how you make something responsibly. I think that's how yeah. you, you know, how you specifically when I'm, uh, creating a work of art that is about something that I don't know a lot about to begin with, or that is about a group of people that I am not part of, um, or something like that. It's like, I view it as my responsibility to immerse myself in that world, um, and get to know as much as I possibly can. 
And then mm -hmm. I think it's about how do you take that information and not beat people over the head with it. Be like, I right. have some more facts for you. I have some more facts for you and make it part of the artistic experience and the engagement of enjoying the, enjoying the work. Yeah. And it is hard to kind of throw facts into a musical in any way, in some way it's, it's a weird, you know, I love, I love, I, I love that you had a bus that was part of the uh, production of Violet, right? And you, you, yes. you did it at 16. Tell me about just the bus part of that. Cause or or the approach to that because that's brilliant as well. yeah yeah that actually i was i was in college and um it was uh there was a grant uh at my university called the redesigning theater grant wow. and uh they uh were offering this grant to somebody who would um do something creative with space um in the telling of a story and i was really racking my brain about what to do and um i was uh, listening to the score of, of Violet, which I just, you know, loved. It wasn't, I wasn't thinking about it as a, um, you know, potential idea for this grant. And then it sort of occurred to me like, oh, has anyone ever done this um, on a bus? Um, and they hadn't. And I thought, well, that could be really interesting. And I applied for the grant and I got the grant. And then I was like, oh no, now I have to actually do this on a bus. <laughs> so, um, and, um, so then I had yeah. to sort of figure out how to like, you know, piece that together and um, had a, a number of amazing collaborators um, who, you know, together we figured it out. And, um, you know, the production that we did uh, at Stanford in, in university, it was, um, you know, we did it for $5,000, oh um, which, you know, I, in the I, scope yeah. of making a theatrical production is nothing. Um, that's, then, that's, uh, yeah, no, sorry, go on. That's, that's insane. Yeah, no. That's insane. <laughs> did, did, yeah, that's an insane little bit of money to do any show. Yeah. I mean, the was, rights usually cost you two, $3,000 in the mics. <laughs> anyway, know. but go on. Sorry. Um, no, it was really, it was really crazy. I mean, I think the big difference is like an, in when you're in college, you aren't paying right. labor. <laughs> <laughs> right. um, but, um, but you know, it was, it was a, it was such a like formative experience because we were like, A, how do we do this crazy thing? B, how do we do it for no money? Um, yeah. And then several years later, I was asked to do another production of it um, professionally at the American Repertory Theater, which was not for five months, <laughs> it was for more. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about the decision to put Ragtime at Ellis Island, which to me is also yes. brilliant. Um, kind of, how did that come about for you in that project? So that came about because after Violet, um, a number of friends and I were just talking about how excited we were about site-specific theater, how it had, like Violet had really sparked something for us. And I made a list of every musical that I thought could be performed site-specifically. Um, okay. And Ragtime, oh, wow. you know, paired with Ellis Island was on that list. And yeah. I thought, you know, how does, how would, how could this be pursued? Um, and I wrote to uh, the vendor uh, at Ellis Island who works with the National Park Service. And I said, hey, uh, you know, what would it take to rent Ellis Island? Uh, and she wrote back and she said, you know, here's the rental agreement and um, it costs this much money and let us know if you want to do it. Um, and similar to, you know, getting that grant with Violet, I was like, well, I guess now we got to do it, um, you know? And, um, you know, that that was much more of a, uh, you know, fundraising mission, and it it, it was had a lot of moving pieces. Yeah. Um, but it was, uh, you know, it was really, um, you know, similar in that it was just kind of asking the question. I think that so often, 
because, you know, we're used to doing theater in a certain specific way in a certain kind of building, we don't think to ask the question, oh, you know, what if it could be this or what if it could be yeah. this or what if it could be this? And I think that those two projects really taught me to always just ask, ask the question. The worst people can say is no. Um, do you identify as being Jewish? I'm getting that. Uh, yes. You. So oh. was there, and, and I know ragtime is, I always think ragtime is about jazz more, but it's more about Judaism, correct? It's, it's got, it's, it's about Jewish characters. Am I wrong? I've, it's been a long uh, time. It's about a... three, three different groups of people. Um, okay. It's about, um, uh, and one of, one of the groups, uh, is, uh, immigrants, um, okay. mostly from, uh, Eastern Europe and mostly Jewish. Gotcha. So, yeah. Was there, I mean, was it, you know, what was, what was it like to do work in a musical that ties to your own background, you know, history? It was, it was very meaningful. I mean, I think that, um, I, I believe if, if my parents, uh, history is correct, seven out of eight of my grandparents, my great grandparents, uh, came through Ellis Island. Oh. And, um, so, uh, to tell that story in that hall, um, and, you know, the hall where we performed was the hall that all the immigrants were processed through. Um, so it would have been where my great grandparents, you know, walked through on their way to, yeah. you know, becoming American. Um, and so that that was extraordinarily meaningful. Um, and uh, I think that one of the beauties of the musical Ragtime is that, you know, it, it tells the story of three different groups of people. Um, but I think that most people can find themselves, even if not. Right demographically in one of the groups or one of the characters because yeah. it is such a story of like coming together and um unity and um you know and finding you know peace among our differences it's kind of like um uh, the miracle of miracles documentary which is just the oh, most multicultural it. documentary about the effect of fiddling the roof and how how many different cultures identify with that because of the oh, same wow. reason yeah watch that wow. I haven't seen that. It would, sounds like I would love that. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, I want to, I want to, uh, I'm going to skip over Carmen, but people should look up and s your work on that. But I'm, I want to get into the documentary. Uh, and I'm curious on kind of, you know, again, well, I want to get back to one thing. It, it seems like what's interesting about where you choose to do this, this like specific stuff is that it, it, it brings reality to it. It bring it, it makes, it makes it more real for, because of you're bringing people into the world of it, which is very, very again, very smart. Um, but I'm just curious about the documentary, kind of how you went about that. Um, was there a particular choice of Cats and Phantom, or was that just the only two plays that were actually still, still having a, a you know production? Well, um, it was. I mean, they were the only two uh, English language shows. Uh, okay. I mean at different times, but they were the only two that sort of fit the brief of what we wanted to gotcha. document at the time. But simultaneously, I had been working with the really useful group, which is Andrew LaRiver's company. And they, oh, wow. um, uh, so, you know, I, I think any documentarian will tell you that like the key, the number one key to a good documentary among many other factors, but sort of like the, the, the key key one is access. Like, do you have access? Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, um, in this case, because I had this relationship with Andrew and with his company, we knew that we could get access to those productions because they were gotcha. his. Um, gotcha. And so um, the initial inquiry was basically to them to say, hey, you know, we really want to tell this story. Um, 
And it feels like the way to do it is vis-a-vis these two surviving productions, which both happen to be yours. Um, Coincidence, maybe, but may also maybe not, you know, which ultimately the doc sort of delves into sort of, you know, how these these two productions and the fact that they are, you know, belong to Andrew, um, you know, relates um, to to their survival. But I think that um, uh, that that access was really the key to. Yeah choice you know i think you know there were a lot of korean language productions that um had similar survival stories um but at the time i wasn't you know i didn't know folks in the korean theater community um and didn't have as much access to it from a language barrier perspective and you know so it, it made sense to, to document those two that's yeah, good the, the documentary is called the show must go on i i, I haven't watched it yet i just uh but I will watch it very soon. I'm very, I, I'd seen it around and I just, I didn't know you were part of it. And then when researching about you, I was like, oh, I need to watch that. There's a lot of references to Rent in this musical, which I really like and how people are talking about it. But to me, Rent also feels, I know it's, it just feel, feels like a documentary because it's about real people's lives and details. And I'm just wondering if you looked at those musicals for structure um, based on it, you know, based on it coming from, a documentary and and about being and, and about it being about real people what was your well, that's approach? really interesting i mean it's it's honestly a our writers would be able to speak to that better because gotcha. i think that uh you know i didn't come into the process until there was already a full draft down on paper gotcha. um and so uh i actually don't know if any of those were points of inspiration for them. Um, But I think that for me, a lot of what I was thinking about directorially was about um, the fact that it's really an ensemble show and that we have 14 characters and we really need the audience to invest in every single one of them. Um, And uh, I thought a lot about Come From Away and how they do that pretty masterfully. but I think the same could certainly be said of Chorus Line. Um, uh, I Come From Away was just a, a big touch point for our show because I think the heart and the um, the joy of it were, were, were things that we really wanted to capture um, as well. Did you take any inspiration or influence from the, from the documentary? Uh, from uh, uh, the same documentary? Like... Oh, no, they, yes, um, in, in the... How to Dance in Ohio documentary. Sorry. Yes, yes, yes. Um, no, no, no. Um, uh, hugely. Um, uh, I mean, the the documentary was certainly my starting point. Um, and I think that, you know, much like, you know, as we were talking about with like research on on Avita or, you know, um, any other show where you can do research. Um, in this case, the research was like right in front of me, um, you know, so right. it was it was very exciting. And I think that not only, you know, was the documentary an important touch point, but I was able to um, go to the center, the real center in Columbus, Ohio, and meet um, uh, the members of Amigo Family Counseling there and oh, wow. Dr. Amigo and his daughter, Ashley, and um, several of the parents. And uh, that, like, real-life experience was really um, important. And then I'll say at the same time, you know, something that was really critical to us on Ohio was to make sure that um, our actors were able to create their own versions of these characters that um, 
were both, you know, tributes to uh, the real people that they, that they're based on, but also had parts of themselves in them, parts of the actors' selves. Um, and so the characters that you see on stage today are sort of half the characters from the documentary and half yeah. the actors who originated the roles. I watched the documentary and I broke down all the characters to make comparisons. And it does oh, seem like wow. there's a few that are mixed. It seems like there's a few that are, I don't know, it, it's interesting. Um, it's interesting the choices that were made and, and, and very good ones. Uh, yeah. But it was, it's interesting to kind of break down and be like, oh, this is this, and maybe that's a mixture of these people. And here's a main character based on a character that has three, you know, very, uh, one of the, you know, people in the documentary doesn't have a lot, and the other characters are reversed. So it was just interesting. Yes. You know, it must have been, you know, it's got to be kind of tricky to have to have a certain framework within an existing uh, documentary um, that does justice. And it's interesting how you handle it. I got to talk to, uh, um, I got to interview Desmond, who is one of the loveliest people I've ever gotten to talk to. I guess. <laughs> um, and I'm curious on your relationship. Um, well, two things. I'm curious on how much you got involved with working with the ASD advisor and how what was your relationship like working with the cast i don't know if you were part of the decision to have them have actors on the spectrum which is genius uh but i'm just curious on whether or not how that worked how you were able to connect with them it doesn't have to be around autism just in, in general yeah absolutely so the consultant that you mentioned uh whose name is ava um, she came on board shortly after I did. Okay. Um, and uh, I worked ex like extremely closely with her um, over the course of three years, um, as did so many of, of the other members of our team. And, um, you know, in addition to her, we have a director of community engagement named Becky Leafman. Yeah. Um, and uh, for the Broadway production, uh, there was an access team. Uh, there is an access team that um, uh, sort of oversees so many different parts of the production as well. Um, and every step of the way, we were in dialogue with all of these individuals to make sure that what we were doing was, um, you know, fitting the mission of the show yeah. on stage and off. Uh, but in terms of casting, um, yes. So when, when uh, you know, it was a given for me that the actors would be, uh, autistic. Um, okay. uh, and I think that very early on, uh, when we met with casting directors and, you know, we started talking with people immediately, um, Benson and Micah, who ended up, you know, being the casting team, um, got the mission and were on board yeah. and were excited about it. However, we did talk to, 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 to many folks, you know, in different corners of the industry who said, oh, you know, I don't think you're going to be able to find, um, you know, the actors that you're looking for. Um, and uh, my response in those cases was, well, we won't do the show. Like, I'm just not right. interested in a version of this show where people are putting on autism. Um, that's not right. like to me, to me, that doesn't fit the mission of the show yeah. or what I, the art I want to make. Um, yeah, of course. And also, I didn't think we would ever get to that point because I was excited about, you know, the talent that was out there and that, but, you know, but, I also didn't, I didn't know. Um, and then we did an open call and the response was incredible. Um, and, you know, we only that first time, you know, two and a half years ago, we only did auditions virtually um, in, because it was during the pandemic or during like, you know, sort of the end of the pandemic. And, um, 
And we could have cast the show three times over from the talent that wow. we saw in yeah. that audition alone. And then when we did auditions again this year, um, this past year as we were casting the Broadway production, it was even more people we'd never met before. Um, and I think, I hope that that is a testament, you know, to the incredible talent pool that's out there. I hope that that makes it so that nobody can ever, you know, write an autistic role that is not played by an autistic actor ever yeah. again. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm heartened and excited by it. Yeah, and I mean, coming from someone who's been in that field for over 25 years, it's not always done well. Um, this, I could see if this was done, if this wasn't done that way, it would have been, it would have been pretty bad. Yeah. Uh, it would it wouldn't yeah. have had authenticity. And I just try, I like that, like the, you, you know, hung your, uh, what's the word? Guns, what's the expression? Suck to your guns, that's the thing, right? Yes. Yeah, in, in your vision and, in, and, in, and also that it was a, you know, um, something else that other people involved saw. Uh, I'm curious on, I'm curious on any, any, I don't know, any transitions, any differences, like what was it like from going from the original production into, onto Broadway? I mean, that must've been kind of crazy or maybe not. I feel like you probably um, had it. Yeah. I can imagine you would have had it already planned out if I'm being honest in terms <laughs> of how you are working and what you're doing. But if you didn't, I'm just curious about how that transitioned. No, I mean, it was, it, I think that no matter how much you plan it, it's going to be a crazy transition, especially because for so many of us, it was our first Broadway production. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, you can think about that all you want and map it out all you want, but the reality of it is only going to be revealed to you in the moment. Um, and I think that in our case, you know, we did a regional production in the fall of uh, 22. Uh, and then um, we did a workshop in the winter of uh, 23. Okay. Um, and then, you know, by the spring of 23, we all sort of thought, oh, you know, when you're when you're waiting to see if your show is going to go to Broadway, what you're really waiting for is um, real estate. Um, because um, there are a limited number of Broadway houses and, you know, the right vacancy has to happen at the right time for, you know, there to be an opening for, for your show. And we were pretty convinced that we were going to come in in the winter, um, not in the fall, though, of course, we would have been, you know, thrilled and yeah. blessed and honored at any time. So I had sort of gotten into my head that I had until the winter. And I was like, you know what, <laughs> well, we'll figure that out, you know, during the fall while we're waiting for the winter. And then all of a sudden, um, we, uh, we ended up with a house in the fall. And um, it was an amazing blessing. And also it was a, a, a big, like, go, go, go now, um, which was really exciting um, and really crazy. Um, and I think that, um, you know, the, the thing about making a Broadway show that I learned that is a different level of pressure than making something else is that when you make a show regionally or you make a show community theater, whatever, there's always sort of this mentality of, at least in my experience, oh, you know, the next time we do it, we'll, we'll fix this thing that didn't work. Or the next time we do it, we'll, we'll change this or, you know, whatever. and we always say, oh, when we go to Broadway, we'll change this. When we go to Broadway, we'll change this. Um, and then when you're on Broadway, you can't say that anymore because that's, right. that's, that's it. That's it. Yeah. Um, and that, that pressure, I think, is a little bit, um, can really like go to your head if you, if you aren't careful about it. Um, and, 
you know, there, there are a few numbers in the show that I like restaged like five times because I just was like, it's not right. Um, and I think that that was really sort of pressure talking versus, um, you know, actual artistry. I mean, that's gotta be a big transition from the, the stresses of just doing a show anyway, then you add on Broadway where people are giving you money for it and stuff, you know? Um, I'm curious yeah. on, I feel like in the music I've heard some, I hear reference, there's a few references to Rent in, in the whole production that I keep keep popping up again. I'm also a person who gets the core and I'm like, there's there's one of the songs, I mean, one of the four songs, I'm not sure which one, just has some moments of that's just, you know, again, you're, you're, this show is its own thing, but there's some reference there in the best way. I don't, I'm not trying to compare it to Rent. Um, but I'm wondering if, for if you know, if that show had an impact on you and how you approach this one, because it, it seems like it's, you know, very, you know, it seems like the design is, I don't want to say sparse, but not in, not in, not like all these set changes all the time, in the same way that Rent was. And yeah, I mean, I don't know in the writing. Uh, I've never heard either of the writers say anything about Rent as an influence, which is not to yeah. say that it wasn't one. You know, it totally could. A lot be. of reviewer, reviewers time... had mentioned it. There's a lot of reviewers oh, that mentioned that connected. It. A few, maybe not um, a lot, but three or four, three or four, which is, you know, enough of a, oh, wait. Maybe there's there's one moment where I am very, I very explicitly nod to it because, um, just in staging, uh, anytime in any of my shows where I have a line of people across the front of the stage, I call it the rent line, just so that we have a reference point of what the line is. Right. So we, we do that twice in the show. And I say, <laughs> you're in the rent line now, you're in the rent line. Um, but that, that's the only thing for me. I mean, I... I yeah. did direct a production of Rent this summer, so you know perhaps it it trickled its way in uh, yeah. there. But I think that in, what you're talking about in terms of the design is, um, it, to me, dates back before Rent. Actually, that it's it's actually about Hal Prince's aesthetic. Hal Prince was the original director of How to Dance in Ohio, and um, you know the aesthetic that he was known for. Um, across a body of work and and not all of his work, but but the majority of his work was this like Brechtian black box aesthetic that um, yeah. didn't have a lot of complex scene changes, but was about, you know, sort of evoking imagination with specific um, evocative pieces. Um, and because he was the show's original director, I was very eager to kind of channel that vision as much as possible and yeah. try to figure out how to... Um, you know, infuse his style and uh, approach into the show as much as I possibly could. I love that I, in doing research, I found something I mentioned when you were 17 that you, I think got him into the Tonys because they wouldn't let him in. <laughs> yes. Which, uh, it was, which it is was just a, a great weird, story. Weird you, it's a you, great you, story, yeah. Can you share that story real quick? As, you know, in yeah. yeah, absolutely. So um, I was an intern for the Tonys when I was in high school and uh, the year that I was interning, um, uh, there was a phantom number on the Tonys and okay. uh, Hal Prince had come to the dress rehearsal for the Tonys to to oversee that number. And for whatever reason, he like wasn't on the check-in list um, at the front door. And I, there were two of us who were working check-in that day. Um, and there was somebody who was, you know, much older than me. Um, and she was sort of the first line of defense and he came to her and you know, he said his name and she said, I'm sorry, sir, you're not oh my on God. the list. You can't come into the theater. And I'm sitting there like, oh, my God. Oh, and I, I, you know, I got up and I was like to my colleague, I said, you know, it's OK. Um, I know who he is. It's fine. You know, he could he can come in. 
and uh, he winked at me and then walked in, in into the theater. And, and that's like the only time I ever interacted with him. Um, but uh, it, it it's a story that makes me laugh. Um, yeah, it's a great story. Uh, so, yeah. I'm hoping that person got fired, the other person. <laughs> no, yeah. How do you not know who Hal Prince is? Um, I know. <laughs> so I'm curious on what is it like to take the place of Hal Prince? Maybe it's because I guess that would have happened in Syracuse, right? I mean, he was going to direct... Was he directing the, the premiere of it or just the Broadway? Is that a weird question to ask? No, no, I can answer. So, uh, so he was the way that shows musicals like this develop. A director yeah. is attached for whatever the foreseeable future okay. holds. Gotcha. Um, and uh, if there comes a point where they are no longer attached, it's because there were creative differences and there was a parting of ways or somebody was fired or, you know, um, something like that. But I, but usually it is the same director all the way through. Um, and in his case, um, you know, he was attached, he, he basically like grand, you know, he like shepherded the project into existence alongside our amazing producers. Um, and so he was on board before there was even, gotcha. Um, you know, a, a word on the page. Um, but they had one internal uh, table read uh, before he passed, but then he passed before uh, anything else was on the calendar. So, um, you know, the Syracuse production happened, uh, I think, three, uh, two years after he passed, um, two and a half okay. years. Um, so, uh, yes, yeah, stepping into that role and was just you know wildly intimidating um and i think that um you know uh but also such an honor right like and i think that i just really saw it as my responsibility to try to pick up you know where he left off as best i possibly could with the understanding that i'm never going to be al prince right? right um and uh i was very lucky that one of our producers had many copies of the script of his, um, that he had his notes in the margins. And um, I had some audio recordings of meetings that he had had about the show. Um, and those were extremely helpful in sort of figuring out how to how to accomplish that mission. Uh, I'm curious on, you know, your, what your, what was like to collaborate with Rebecca and Jacob who did the book, music and lyrics. What was it, did you have much collaboration with them in, in the design? Uh, and while we're on, while I think about design, I'm also curious on, you know, how, in terms of your directing, how the influence from the SD advisor kind of made you, you know, influenced you to make certain choices in terms of accessibility and making sure everybody, kind yeah. of, you know, felt comfortable and could do their jobs. Yeah. So my collaboration with Jacob and Rebecca was, you know, uh, very intense um uh i mean and i mean that in the most positive sense yeah, yeah, but yeah, but yeah, that, that that a uh director and writers have to be in lockstep the entire yeah. time um that you're making a show um and so uh you know i think it's obviously it's their baby and i i sort of you know exist to interpret and generate around their baby um and you know uh they you know we we were you know working closely together from from day one um and then in terms of our collaboration with ava um yes you know she and our access team um both 
you know, we sort of worked together in two different ways. One was that we would sort of establish processes up front that um, they would sort of help to uh, create and oversee. Uh, like, for example, we have these surveys that we give out to our company at the very beginning of each process that help to uh, sort of catalog uh, everybody's access needs and okay. um, sensitivities and, um, you know, how we can best accommodate everybody in the room. Um, uh, but then on the back side, it's also about, um, you know, uh, the, that team, uh, seeing run-throughs of the show, seeing, uh, you know, dress rehearsal previews, all these things to give us feedback on, uh, different elements that might, uh, be triggering. So, um, you know, for example, we have a number of disco balls in the show and early on in previews the access team was flagging that they were too uh, reflective. And so they were causing uh, issues for uh, people with light sensitivities. Yeah. Um, and so we uh, went to our, our scenic team and we said, Hey, you know, what can we do to address this? And they figured out how to uh, dull the disco balls. And then uh, our lighting designer sort of stepped in and created an effect uh, that made it seem like the disco ball was emitting the light that it normally does. Uh, but it's actually not emitting any light because it's not that shiny. Gotcha. Um, you know, so it's, it's little things like that, that like hundreds of little things like that, that just like over time add up, uh, to make a show, um, you know, accessible, uh, to the extent that it can be. I'm just curious again on how your relationship with, you know, what's your work, what, what how do you work with casts or, or especially this cast? I mean, this cast, I think there was something very unique about the formation of this specific um, company. And uh, what I mean is, uh, you know, the auditions that I was mentioning earlier, we did now uh, two and a half years ago. Okay. Um, and uh, out of those auditions, <clears throat> we cast the seven autistic characters in the show from just Zoom auditions that we had done. And we thought, okay, you know, it's a reading. We'll meet these seven people. Hopefully they'll be amazing. And hopefully, you know, three or four of them will, uh, you know, stick with it and, gotcha. you know, whatever. And today on Broadway, it's all seven oh of those God. original people. Yeah. Um, and there was something about sort of like the the immediate click of that seven um, that was so, um, like electric and so special and so, um, like meant to be, um, yeah. that, uh, I think that that has been like the great blessing of this production. Um, and, um, the way that they have, um, not only, you know, I think they get a lot of, uh, praise rightly so for the way that they interact um on stage and and the way that they you know create this you know collective of, of of seven you know who are at the heart of the show um but that extends off stage you know and, and yeah, the way that these you know seven and also the rest of the company um just you know create this world and this family it's it's really magical and i think that that's been the great the great blessing of working on this show in choosing those folks i'm assuming that some of it's clear that some have theater experience and others don't as much. I'm curious on if that was a factor in in choosing them, think, their experience in theater or performance in general. It, maybe I'm wrong, but it seems like some of them are deeper 
but they're not necessarily coming from Broadway backgrounds. Yeah, I mean, I think this be was wrong. the Broadway debut of uh, all, all seven of them were making yeah. their Broadway debut on the on the production, and um, uh, and uh, I think you know because many of them are you know just out of school as well. Um, you know, it 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 makes sense that you know this is this for for many this is their first foray into professional theater. Um, and I think that, you know, of course, when you're when you're casting, you're always looking for um, certain indicators that are going to tell you that someone's going to do a great job and experience can be one of those indicators. Um, and I think that what was important to us to remember in this casting process is that so many uh, rooms for so long have um, not been set up in such a way that autistic individuals might see themselves um you know uh being happy in those rooms or or being able to do their jobs well in those rooms yeah. and um as a result of that they may not have had the experiences that um uh, neurotypical individuals may have had um uh and i think that that was something that we had to check ourselves on a right. number of times where we would say you know, this person doesn't have this kind of experience or this person doesn't have this kind of experience, but then we would have to interrogate, why is that? Um, And because what we're seeing when they audition is something extraordinary. So, you know, what is the barrier for why they're not getting that job? And should How to Dance in Ohio be the job that breaks that cycle um, so that we can say, you know, uh, this person is incredibly talented. Why aren't other people hiring them? Um, So... um, Yes. So to answer your question, yes, experience can be a factor. Um, and also this process has taught me to question how much weight I put on experience. Are there ways that you've seen either individuals or just collectively on how much this has changed their life? Cause it's gotta, it's gotta be huge. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think, uh, I hesitate to, take credit or give the show credit um, for, uh, um, you know, being a gift to them or, you know, changing their lives in some, some big way. Um, But I do think, I think unquestionably, you know, anybody's Broadway debut is going to change their life. Anybody being involved in a show, you know, as powerful as this with a mission like this is going to change their lives. So yeah. I think that, you know, I, 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 um, I, I think I'm so excited that this, uh, group of very deserving individuals, um, is, uh, getting to, um, you know, be heard and, yeah. um, so much of who they are, uh, and what they want to say has, been has made its way into the piece um but i would say that like we the creative team are the lucky ones for um, having gotten to you know work with them um because uh it's their story and um you know i'm really i really feel fortunate i'm sorry if that's a tricky question i think no 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 i i I totally understand it i Um, think uh my point is just the gift is is mutual yeah, of course. Um, so the last thing I have, are you, are there any things you're working on that you want to kind of pitch any websites or anything, anything, any where people can learn more about what you're doing next? 
Um, where can people uh, find you online? I'm taking a, a little bit of a hiatus um, for, for a few weeks, which is yeah, good and good. healthy. Uh, but I have a website, uh, sammycannell.com, and yes. uh, I'm on Instagram and uh, Twitter, and I guess not Twitter, X. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, thank you. Um, Thank yeah, you so much for having me. <laughs> this is an honor for me, and thank you very much. This has really been yeah, uh, totally really my pleasure. So you have a great day, and I will. I'll thank let you know you. more about when this is coming out and such at a later date. But thank you so much. Sounds wonderful. Thank Take you, care, thank Sammy. You. Bye bye. All right. Bye Hey, thank you so much for checking this out. I also want to make sure you check out our new podcast series. Uh, it's called Building Momentum, M-O-O-M-E-N-T-U-M. It's a very unofficial How to Dance in Ohio podcast. You can search for that and where you get podcasts. Um, it, it really was an honor to be part of this, I have to say. We got to interview five of the main cast. A lot of people involved with um, the access, accessibility team. We got to interview... Well, we will be interviewing Dr. Amelia Amigo. Uh, we interviewed Rebecca greer Malokic, who did the book and the lyrics. I mean, really, it's an, it's about 14 interviews of really all, everyone you can imagine. We got really lucky. To, we'll be interviewing Alexander Shiva, who directed the original documentary. So please check that out again and share it. Uh, we don't really have advertising money for things, so it's all word of mouth. So please uh, check this out and share it. It's really you know, long form interviews, each one's just from somewhere from 30 to maybe an hour of each of these people. And just in terms of what, you know, how amazing these people are, what they went through. Um, and again, you know, being autistic myself, understanding musicals, just such a world I love being in. And almost probably 80% uh, of people we talk to fall into the autistic category. Um, and this is just to me a gift to other autistic people to really understand you know what, what it's like what it was like to be part of this what it's like you know the challenges the successes so anyway please share it uh, we don't have a lot of advertising money and stuff so it's all word of mouth so again this is one of the things one of the things i've done i'm the most proud of and i just want to thank everybody involved who helped me uh create this um especially uh sammy canold uh raymond and samantha esposito and my editor, uh, Otter Castro, who did a lot of extra editing when he did not agree to that. So, yeah, and, and many more. I got a lot of a lot of really a lot of people came out of the work to help me out with this, and I really appreciate it. So, thank you. We